Thanks for tuning in to the Bethany Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message helps you grow in your faith with Christ. If you'd like to find out more about what's going on at Bethany or GIF, you can visit us online at bethanysite.com or download our mobile app. Well, welcome, and thank you for joining us. My name is Josh. If we haven't met before, whether you're here in the room or watching online, we're just so glad that you're with us. And we're continuing on this topic that we started talking about last week. And I think for some of you, this just connects with, with what you might be feeling in this moment. And that's the idea of doubt, the idea of processing our uncertainty and actually working through some of those things, regardless of where you might be on your spiritual journey. And so if you, you were here last weekend or you watched online, you heard kind of this challenge. And the, and the big idea was, was hopefully that we gave permission for you to start to actually process, maybe even vocalize some of those doubts with the people around you and start to work through those. But the goal would be this, that we face these type of things that we would actually lean in and and challenge those questions rather than stepping back and stepping away. And so as we look at it more today, one of the things we have to recognize is just the nature of the situation and the world that we live within and how people might be feeling some of these doubts themselves. And maybe you've heard this, this phrase before. Many of you might have. It says this, that God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. How many of you guys have seen that before or heard that before? In fact, there's a bumper sticker picture I think we have. Uh, we're not selling those in the lobby, unfortunately, but uh, many of you might be familiar with that idea. And for many people, like, like that is a comforting statement. It's this confidence in a higher power and in truth that we believe in wholeheartedly as a church. But part of what we have to do is place ourselves in this cultural moment that we're in recognizing that even at the beginning of that one says God says it, that people's ideas of what God is or who God is are changing over the course of time. This assumed that God is real has actually become something that we can't quite assume anymore in some of the different ways that people are processing some of the doubts they have. In, in 1985, there's a sociologist named Robert Bilal that wrote this book, um, called Habits of the Heart. This is 38 years ago. So put that in context of, of kind of the time moment that we're in now. But here was the concept that he unpacked as he moved through it. This idea that religion, even then, 1985, was moving away from this kind of corporate thing that was, was a pretty standard practice for most people to be involved in and was shifting towards something that was much more individualized as, as people felt like they were becoming more spiritually enlightened. In fact, there's an entire chapter about a lady that's named Sheila. And Sheila is part of a religion called Sheilaism. And she simply believes that, that her spiritual authority, and, and he went through this whole chapter of talking to her, is the inner voice that she hears. She says this, that it's, it's just her own little voice that she tries to love herself and be gentle with herself, that, that even our inner voice is becoming the source of spiritual authority within the secular world that we're a part of. And it's this concept of like radical individualization. Rather than moving towards something corporate, we move towards something independent. And in combination with that, we see this truth that people are starting to accept that they think is truth, which is that absolute truth is a myth, that there is no authority or absolute truth. And that's just to help us understand some 
of the things that we might be stepping into as our world is considered to be becoming more and more secular. And here's the thing. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you're in a relationship with him, one of the important things is to know then how the people around you might be feeling, but also the doubts then that we wrestle with, that we step into, and what that might feel like, or even how many people go through that. There's this chart that shows how Christians have experienced doubt. It's this pie chart, um, so you can see the totality of these things. And that might be hard for, read to, to, for you to read, so let me give you some explanation. The, the phrase used here was that I have wrestled with prolonged periods of doubt. And they asked people that were, were Christian or had Christian experience. And the two numbers I want you to catch is, is the beige number there on the right, which is 19% say that is completely true. And then the green on the right also is 31% say that that is somewhat true. So we just have to be honest with ourselves in recognizing what we are experiencing, even as believers, if you've made that decision, that 50% of people would say this, that they have experienced prolonged seasons of doubt. And the weight and the toll that that takes on us, especially when we try to move through that entirely on our own, within our own strength, without the power of the Lord working in and through us, but also without involving the people around us. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at some of what I believe are the underlying causes of doubt. And and there are so many that we can unpack, but we're just going to look at three different stories today that involve Jesus that help us understand what some of the underlying things might be that actually cause us to doubt. If you have your Bible, uh, you can turn. We're going to be in three different sections, so you'll be jumping around, but we'll start in Matthew chapter 11. Um, If you don't, that's okay. All the scriptures are going to be up on the screen behind me for you to follow along. Um, Or if you have our Bethany app, there's actually some fill in the blanks as well as all the scripture for you to use that. But let's look at this first cause of, un, uh, of, of doubt that we might experience. And that's number one, unanswered questions. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Unanswered questions. And we're going to look at an example in Matthew chapter 11 with a, a man named John the Baptist. And many of us are familiar with John the Baptist, his life and his ministry. To, to summarize, what, what he was doing was essentially preparing the way for someone greater. He was preparing the way for Jesus. There was prophecy about this man, John, and how he was going to prepare people, how he was going to point people towards Jesus. John the Baptist is the one that baptized Jesus. He, uh, he also said this to people as, they, as he saw Jesus coming. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that most of his ministry is just spent preparing and pointing people towards Jesus, that that's what he's all about. Yet we find John in Matthew chapter 11, and he asks a question that I want us to see. I'll read verses uh, 2 and 3. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? That even this messenger, whose intention, whose focus has been preparing the way for Jesus, saying, I'm going to prepare the way for one that is greater than me. Even he asks this question, are you the one? This doubt of unanswered questions that's so natural for us. We have no idea what exactly John is seeing that might cause him to ask those questions. Maybe, Maybe it's some of the people that he knows Jesus is spending time with. Maybe it's simply the fact that John is in prison as he asks this. 
And he's thinking, well, this Messiah that was going to come was going to actually provide this freedom, and I'm not experiencing that. What is it? In the midst of all of these, he simply asks, are you the one, or should we expect someone else? And I want you to see the response as we go on in verse 4 and 5. Jesus replied then, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't attack John. But here's what he does. And I think this is so fascinating in the way that it's written. Instead of saying, hey, go back and tell John, yes, I'm the one. He says, no, I want you to go back and report to John what it is that you hear and see. I want you to give him an account of what it is that's actually happening. It's more even than Jesus' words and saying yes, but saying, actually, I want you to see the answer to your question in fulfillment. And what's beautiful in this is Jesus' evidence that he provides is the fulfillment of all of these claims of the coming Messiah. All of these prophecy that would be pointing towards the Messiah. And that's what he begins to list off. These are the things that you will be reporting back that you've seen that are a fulfillment of this. But from the very beginning, if you're wrestling with unanswered questions, if that's something in you that you're processing, the first thing I want you to hear as we start is that God can handle your doubt and your questions. He has the power to handle those things. And in this case, we see his beautiful answer. And I think um, oftentimes we're reminded of some great questions if we have kids. If you've ever experienced this, like I have two young boys, um, but oftentimes, Pastor Sue and I were talking about this this week where parents will bring their kids up and they'll go, hey, my kid has a question for you. It's a spiritual question. And they are never easy. (laughs) Like I'm always like waiting for like a really easy one. We never get those. But you've had those as a parent too. Maybe you've ex- experienced that where, where your kid asks you a question and you think, man, that's a really good one. Like, I've got to go through it. And some of them are so profound. And some of them are not quite as profound, but they, they always keep us interested. I, my son came to my wife a while back and he had been reading different like levels of the Bible, the big story Bible, and then moved towards uh, one that was more like, kind of like a comic book and then the action Bible, uh, which has all the information. And he said, mom, I really need the whole Bible I feel like there's some things that are missing in this one that I've been going through. And she's like, well, well, like, what type of stuff have you noticed is missing? And he said, you never told me that after Noah built the ark and saved all the animals and brought some people with him, that he passed out naked and drunk. You never told me that. And we're like, yeah, we, we left that out in VVS. Sorry. <laughs> like, we might have skipped over that one. But like all these questions, like, like for some of us, you remember those moments in your life, maybe when you were coming to faith, when you were processing questions quickly. You were answering those questions constantly. You were digging in time after time. And and here's what I hope that we'll see is this doesn't mean that we believe the gospel any less. It simply means that we want to have a greater understanding of the truth. That we want to sometimes even be able to articulate that truth in a more powerful way. To share that truth to dig in and study the things that we need to study. And so the first thing I think that causes doubt oftentimes is these unanswered questions. And we're going to move through all three of these, and then we're going to come back and look at, okay, how do we then respond to it? So the second one, if you're taking notes, is this. It's unresolved pain. And this could be so many different things. Maybe even just saying that for you is a reminder of something you've experienced. Maybe it's physical pain. 
Maybe it's a physical ailment that, that you've had or someone around you. Maybe it's church hurt, something you've experienced. Maybe it's loss. But this unresolved pain that we had that causes us to ask all of these questions that causes us then to sometimes walk away, to, to deconstruct, to do those things we've been talking about. And there's a story in Mark chapter 9 that I referenced last week, but I want to read more of it this week to give us the context and see what it looks like for us to experience and express that unresolved pain as we, use, as we move towards processing that doubt. Mark chapter 9 for our second story. Teacher, this man brings his son to Jesus that's possessed, and he says this, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Look at what's happening to this boy. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out, but they could not. And then in verse 21, we see Jesus responding. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? And look what the man says, from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water with the intention of killing him, to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. As we read this story and you, you dig into it, you recognize that what this man is experiencing isn't something that just started happening. This boy has dealt with this. In fact, his family has dealt with this since childhood. And if we read Luke's account, a separate gospel that talks about this same story, he goes on and explains that this boy is actually the only son that this man has. Just imagine the pain of the experience of this demon possession that has the intention of trying to kill his son time after time again. We see it in his desperation because he says, if you can do anything, it's like a last resort. We felt this pain. We've worked through this pain. God, we've been suffering under the weight of this pain. If you can do anything, would you take pity on us? And part of that could be because we know that the disciples have tried to heal this boy and couldn't. And I want you to see what Jesus says. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. And this is the scripture I shared last week. Immediately, the, father's boy, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. That in the midst of this pain, we see the humanness of his response as he holds the duality of these two things. I do believe, but at the same time, would you help my unbelief? Would you give me the strength to believe even more as I work through and feel and process this pain? And if you go on in this story, the difference that this might be to your story is the fact that this boy is healed. Shortly after this moment, the next few verses, Jesus heals this boy to the point that as the demon leaves him, they think the boy is dead and Jesus lifts him up and he's miraculously healed. But the question then we ask ourselves is what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers? What do we do when that unresolved pain is lingering, is continually unresolved? How do we reconcile the pain, the suffering, the brokenness that we see in the world all around us and that we experience and walk through, even though Jesus, time after time, reminded us that this is something that we should expect. Jesus in John chapter 16 is talking to his disciples and he says this, I have told you these things as he starts to reveal his intention and his gospel so that in me you may have peace. That word peace is is totality. It's fullness in Christ. In this world, you will have trouble. 
He states it. Jesus tells his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. But what do we do? We take heart, for I have overcome the world. That there's this this concept that's rooted in the gospel. We use that word all the time, which simply means good news. That this thing called sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And it is a part of every one of our lives. It's part of our nature. It's something that every one of us does. But also through the weight of this thing called sin, we then see in the world has entered suffering, pain, brokenness. That question that we're always asking or being asked, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? And although it might not be comforting, the reality is that sin is what creates the avenue for all of those things to be a part of the world that we are in. Yet Jesus, through his death and resurrection, offers us then this opportunity to have eternal life through him. That, that out of that, our hope would be that God is building something beautiful his heart for restoration in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that brokenness. But oftentimes, when we find ourselves in those moments, that's not always the comfort that we feel because we're still wrestling through that unresolved pain that continually weighs us down. I think it's an extremely common cause for some of the doubts that we experience in God's goodness, his faithfulness, his his intentions for us. The third cause of doubt, I think, oftentimes is unmet expectations. Especially if you've made the decision to follow Jesus. You've kind of got all of these thoughts, I know I do in my mind, of like plans that I have. And part of our expectations then become these things that, that we hope for. These expectations that we have for God, like how we would expect him to bless our lives, the ways that he should be helping us to move forward. And we find ourselves going, God, why have you not provided me with that spouse that I need? God, why haven't you moved me on from this job to the next one? God, I have all of these hopes, these aspirations. Like I continually have great ideas for how you can answer my prayers, amen? Like we think those things all the time. All of these expectations that we have for how how God could bless and honor us. And when he doesn't, then we're often stuck going, why are you not doing that for me, God? I have so many unmet expectations, so many desires. I want you to see this story between Jesus and Peter in Matthew chapter 16. It says this, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So in this scripture, it starts to reveal the necessity of his death and then his resurrection. And he's doing that plainly to his disciples. He's trying to clearly paint the picture. He's not talking in parables. He's saying, here is what is going to happen. I want to tell you exactly what to expect. And this is completely different than what they want. You see Peter's response in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Like Peter and the disciples, he's probably speaking for all of them when he says this, have completely different expectations of what Jesus can and should do in this moment. 
And this word rebuke is a strong word. Even the fact that that Peter would like approach Jesus like this shows how intentionally shocked his boldness, his intensity, that this isn't what he wants. This isn't what he expects. And Jesus responds to him in verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but look at what he does have in mind but merely human concerns. That what Peter wants for Jesus is so much different than what needs to happen, but what Peter can't see is that what Jesus is offering is so much more. It's not just this moment in time. It's not this brief situation, but it's something eternal. That Peter's response is like rooted in our inability to understand the totality, the broadness, the incredible big picture of what God is doing. Because the people of that time, the Jewish people, would have wanted some simple things. They would have wanted to be like released from the the oppression that the Roman people had on them. They would have wanted this earthly ruler and this earthly king that would ride in and take his rightful place. And he would place the Jewish people in like the position of esteem that they deserve. And he would do all of these things in their moment that would be incredible, not recognizing the whole picture of what God was in trying to do to reconcile his people back to him, that God had a greater plan. Oftentimes, this is is just based on the, the limited perspective that we have. And sometimes we're lucky enough to gain that perspective by looking back at how God has blessed us over the years. But, but sometimes it's just us, our awareness of this moment that we find ourselves in. Like if you have kids, like I said earlier, you know so many of these things because you've experienced them. One of them is just the way in which you probably have intentions for your kids like safety and health and maturity. And a lot of times that doesn't go along with what it is they want, right? (laughs) Like they want something completely different. I heard a quote one time, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, the pastor said, the best way to ruin your kids is to give them everything they want. And that resonated with me because we know what that's like. And there's so many times where we can see these little moments where our kids can't see the bigger picture, but we can, and, and how empowering that is sometimes for them. My son, Nixon, when he was really young, uh, he has one of my favorite quotes within our family. We use it all the time. He was riding uh, with my wife and my parents, his grandparents. And, and I don't know if this is like standard grandparent procedure, but in my parents' car, there's always candy. Is that normal? Or is that, okay. There was no candy when I was a kid, but now that, they, that I have kids, there's always candy. And so they were driving somewhere, and my son said, hey, can I have some, he's really young, he asked for M&Ms when he got in the car. And they said, you can have some when we get out, because he knew there'd be M&Ms. And wherever they were driving, they decided that they were going to go somewhere else. They were going to go to an ice cream shop. And it's one of those ones where, like, you just dump every topping that you could possibly want, and then you weigh it at the end, and you hope no one sees it and judges you. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so they're going to one of those. He's probably four or five at the time, and they pull up to this ice cream shop, and everyone gets out of the car except Nixon, and he just starts losing it. He's like having a meltdown. Like, what is going on? Now, some of you can already understand what he's feeling that it took them a while to get to. He said, you said I could have some M&Ms. And like, we're about to go in to a a store full of candy, and you can have as many M&Ms as you want. And he responded with my favorite quote ever. He said, sorry, I a little got carried away there. <laughs> so now if you ever like are in a bad mood at our house, that's the quote that you get. But think about like how beautiful is that illustration for the idea of our limited perspective 
of what might be out there for us. Like he was crying. He was losing it over a few M&Ms and we're about to walk into a candy store. We can have as many as he wants, but because we can't always see that, it limits our ability to then process that in a healthy way. And so in all of these underlying causes of doubt, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is how do we then respond? How do we engage with some of these things in a helpful way? Last week, I got to talk to our senior hires on Sunday night, and the topic was prayer. And one of the things that, that I, I was able to admit to them and kind of process through with them is, is that I recognize the moments and the seasons within my life where, where I didn't give prayer and my time with God the, the honor and the value and the priority that it deserved. It just wasn't a priority for me. In times that were formative, times that I wished I had been more trusting and engaged with what God was doing. But here's what I realize now looking back. What I realize is that in those times where I felt like disconnected, where I felt distance, where I wasn't prioritizing those things, when I wasn't as connected to God, like the Bible says, he is the vine and we are the branches. We remain in him that will bear much fruit. When I wasn't doing that, it was so much easier for me in my humanness to see all of the bad things in my life. All of the pain, all of the disappointments, all of the questions, those were the things that in my humanness were where my wine went naturally. My first thoughts where my doubts were the strongest because I wasn't seeing at that time the alternate perspective of what God was doing, his goodness at work within my life, the way in which he was answering my prayers, the things that he had brought me through because I wasn't engaged and connected to him. And I know all of us would love for the voice of God to be like Moses' experience, where it's this booming voice that we just hear and just resonates with us. But it's different for everyone. Like for me, I look back on those moments, those seasons, and I can see how God was preparing me, how God was answering those questions. Like the voice of the Holy Spirit to me is often not this booming voice, but it's the sound of my wife's voice. And many of you have experienced it, not in like a malicious way. I know you're thinking, wait a second. No, like she has an incredible way of seeing God's fulfillment of things that we've been praying for. Incredible way of seeing the moments that we're in now where God was preparing us years and years before. And there's something powerful that brings us out of those doubts, brings us out of that undercurrent that we're experienced when we're actually reminded of God's goodness working in and through us. The positive things that are happening in our lives rather than than just staying within the negative. And so here's what I want you to, to catch. And you can write this down if you're taking notes. That dealing with our doubts is often more essential and more extensive than we realize. The challenge last week was to lean in because sometimes we're tempted to back away. That it's more essential than we realize, but oftentimes it's more extensive too. It's going to take more work. And I think what we can be tempted to do is over the course of, of just, I give you three examples of causes of doubt, but there are so many more that we just start to take all of those things and just, just throw them in. So I say, well, well I'll, I'll process that later. Like, I don't have time to deal with that now, or I've got some questions, and those are hard questions to answer. So I'm going I'm to get to that later, but I'm going to keep on doing my thing. And what we end up doing is carrying around this baggage of all of these undercurrents of doubt that we're not willing or not prioritizing dealing with. And then we start to say, man, my arm's getting tired, but it can't be that. No, no, no. Like, I'll get to that later. 
I'll process that later. And then when hard things come along in our lives, we realize we can't hold it up anymore. Like, like we've run out of steam. We've run out of energy. And oftentimes that's what pushes us away the fastest. We have to recognize is God's goodness in all of this. Psalms 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe today you came in feeling one of these things that you've got unanswered questions or, or unmet expectations or this unresolved pain that is just eating away at you. And the challenge is to lean in, not to step back. That we would be intentional in our response to the doubts that we face in our lives. And so as we kind of wrap up this, this two-week series, I want to give you some, some ways to actually work through this over the course of this week, just hopefully intentionally. You're not going to maybe solve all of these things that you're wrestling through, but the goal would be that you just take one step forward. So we're going to break it down into three different challenges. The first is to diagnose the source of your doubt. Maybe you actually need to process not just the things that you're feeling, but the undercurrent that might be causing that. Maybe one of these three resonates with you or there's something else. But this week you'd go, what, what is the cause of that doubt? Second, that you'd be willing to bring it to God. That you'd be willing to engage with him. That you'd be willing to pray to him to give you clarity and to speak to that. And look, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Maybe, maybe today or this weekend, you just like to step into that relationship with him and we'd love to talk to you after the service because we believe that's the most important thing you can do, that that is ultimately the power to process all of these doubts is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through your life. That we'd bring it to God. And lastly, that you'd find people and resources to help you process. That you need people in your life that you can talk to, that you can ask these questions. But maybe for some of you, this is, this is an academic. Maybe you're a skeptic to faith here and you're going, well, there's, there's questions I've got that I need something else to answer. And so at the bottom of your app notes, we've provided some resources that I think help you process doubt in a really healthy way. First is a book that I mentioned last week called Room for Doubt by Ben Young. But there's a couple other books on there. The Problem with God by Mark Clark, which I've talked about in the past. Evidence that Demands a Verdict is a wonderful book that, that clarifies and answers some of these questions that you might have. And the last one you might have heard of called A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Just the intention of saying, I'm not going to run away from these, these doubts. I'm not going to put these on a shelf and walk away and hope they resolve themselves. I'm going to choose to lean in and to step in and to challenge these things and to answer these questions and to resolve some of the unresolved things that are under the surface, that that would be our hope and prayer. And that in doing that, we would then be able to love and engage with our community in an even better way. Like for me, this was a practice over the last couple years where there was a few things that, that I knew what I believed, but I wanted to be able to articulate it better. This idea of the word called apologetics, if you've never heard it, defending your faith. And so part of the reason I went through some of these books was because I wanted to be able to articulate that when I get those questions, when my kids ask those questions. How do we do that in a way that helps build us up and build up the kingdom? Amen? That that would be our hope and our challenge this week. Will you stand with me as we pray? God, we just pray, as your word says in Psalms, that you would be close. I know there are probably people in here that, that even some of those topics just spark the feelings that they might have. Or maybe there's someone watching online that, that is just feeling these things deeply. And if they're honest, it's the undercurrent of their doubt. 
something that they've experienced, something that they haven't processed, some questions that they need answered. And God, we pray that you would be in that, that you would be doing something powerful in our lives, that this, this doubt would be a resource for us, a tool for us to grow in deeper faith with you. God, I pray that you would bless each and every one of us and as a church as we pursue these doubts this week, as we seek answers to these questions, that you would do something powerful in affirming our faith in and through that. God, we hand these doubts to you today and we ask that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.